a significant study was done where they went to college students who came from churches, and then when they got to college, they turned their back on the Christian faith, and they wanted to know the reason. In fact, all of the questions center around one question. What turned you off Christianity? The main answer that they received again and again was this. They were turned off when the churches began to seek to ingratiate themselves to them instead of challenging them. These were kids who attended church in high school, but then they found that the mission and the message of the churches caught vague. But there's more. They said offering superficial answers to life's difficult questions did not help them. This study went on in quoting these students again to be saying that the ministries that they respect the most were those who, quote, took the Bible seriously, not those who sought to entertain them and become buddies with them. The study concluded that the common theme among students who turned away from the faith when they went to college is that they respect the people with conviction, providing they know what they were talking about, end of quote. But there's more. They said playing down the truth or watering down the truth is more of a turnoff, is more of a hindrance for their believing it. If there is an indictment upon modern-day churches more convicting than this, I don't know what it is. We began a short series of messages on claiming, training, and praying for the next generation. We looked at Psalm 127, where I told you that this particular psalm began with society or the community or the city, and then ended with the family. Psalm 128 is the psalm right after it, written by the same person, Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does exact opposite. It starts with the family, goes into the community or society. In fact, those two psalms are connected. They really could have been one psalm. Why? Why is that important? Because the family and society are inexorably linked. Destroy the next generation, and you have destroyed society. And so, if you can find it in your Bible, Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. I think everyone here agrees that the word blessing or blessed is a wonderful word. It is a great word. After all, who among us who wants not to be blessed. The word blessing, in fact, is a unifying word in this song. It is mentioned four times in verse 1, verse 2, verse 4, verse 5. It is a unifying theme. In the last message, Psalm 127, we saw the blessing of God upon the next generation that they will become an arrow in the hand of the mighty Lord. If Psalm 128 tells us anything, it tells us that when we invest faithfully in the next generation, when we invest our lives in serving of the living God, obedient to Him, when we pour our lives for Him, to Him, in the lives of others, we and our families will be blessed. 
In Psalm 127, he singles out the men and the sons, the fathers and the sons. In Psalm 128, he includes the wives, and not only all of the children, but the children's children. And so the blessing that God longs to bestow, not only upon this generation, but the generations to come. God longs for that, but don't miss the condition. It is done subtly. What is it? Look at it with me. Our own walk with the Lord. Our own walk. Our own walk with the Lord will absolutely impact the next generation's walk with the Lord. Look at verse 1 and 2. Blessed are all who, what? Fear the Lord and walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessing and prosperity be yours. In the last message, I emphasized the importance of modeling for the next generation. For it's no use telling them one thing and living another way. It's just not going to work. In fact, there's going to be a turnoff just like what we've seen in this study. You have to live what you preach. You have to live what you teach. You have to model for them. When it says fearing the Lord, it does not mean that I'm living in absolute terror. Now, there's some traditions and some Christian traditions that people talk about fearing the Lord. You live in terror, being terrified of God that they view God as some angry person in heaven who's waiting for you to fall into temptation, and He whacks you. Really. That's how Martin Luther saw, viewed the Lord before he was enlightened by the Word of God. Our God is a gracious God. Our God is a merciful God. Our God will never withhold forgiveness from those who genuinely seek it. And when the Bible speaks of fearing the Lord, it means that we live in profound reverence to the Lord. It means that our desire and our longing is to be obedient to Him out of gratitude and out of thanksgiving, not out of terror. It means that we highly esteem the Lord. It means that we never deliberately or premeditatedly or angry uh, want to offend the Lord. And that reverence begins with the spiritual head of the family. The spiritual head fears the Lord, honors the Lord, esteems the Lord, walking daily with God, experiencing holy awe of God on a regular basis, seeking God in every aspect of life and not just in some areas and keep the others to self. When that happens, the next generation will be blessed. It's right here. Now, living in terror of the Lord and fear and and want to cut deals with God and, you know, God, if you do this, I'll do this, and all this stuff, that erroneous teaching that is in some circles in the Christian community, also has an opposite extreme erroneous teaching, which is more common in our day today. Listen carefully, and that is this taking the Lord and His mercy and His grace for granted, trivializing God and His Word, trifling with God, keeping Him on the peripheries of your life's major decisions. See, these are two erroneous extremes. The Bible is innocent of both extremes. Sadly, that's exactly what has happened, and that's what's producing that generation that goes to college and turns their back on God. And the reason the next generation is turned off is because secular thinking 
has not only invaded many a church, it has taken over many a church. You say, what is that? What is secular thinking? And let me tell you what the word means. It comes from the Latin word seculum, which means this age, this age, as opposed to being spiritual or otherworldly. This age means people, their mental boundaries are limited to the here and now. This age means very little thought of any is given to anything beyond the self and the self-fulfillment. And that is why, beloved friends, instant gratification is ruling supreme. And that is why so many so-called evangelical churches see the next generation as consumers. They see them as consumers to whom they market whatever they think they want, whatever they think they desire. If the secular thinking persists in the churches, we will lose the next generation. And that is why the psalmist warns us, there can be no blessing to the next generation with this type of thinking. If you don't place God at the center, if you don't place every aspect of life under His Lordship, if you don't have everything in life begin, continued, and ended with Christ, then we will not experience the blessing of God. And this has to begin in the thought. It has to begin in the thought. Now, that's not an occasional thought or just a thought of God when you come to church on Sunday or just when you go to a Bible study and just an occasional thought. That's not good enough. Why? Because continuous thought about God is going to produce good action. When the psalmist speaks of walking with God, that's an Old Testament way of saying not an occasional thinking about God, but continuously thinking about God. And we continuously think about God, you're going to find that continuously making the right decisions that honor God. Why does the Bible say walking with God? Why does the Bible say sitting with God? Because walking denotes action. I'm changing every day. Yesterday, today I am changing, growing, maturing in Christ. Every day I'm progressing. That's what walking denotes. Progress. More Christ-likeness every single day. And if you look back at your life and you see no progress, there's something wrong about your walk with God. Because walking with God is a must if you want to see not only yourself, but the next generation blessed. I was thinking about walking with God, and I thought, of a man in the Bible in Genesis chapter 5 says he walked with God. You know what I'm talking about? Good. Enoch (laughs) walked with God. Let me show you what it means. It doesn't mean that on occasion he had a stroll with God or when he needed God and said, God, if you do this for me, I'll do something nice for you. And then when God answers, that's the end of that. These are games we play. Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah at 65. 
Talk about the blessing of the next generation. <laughs> Methuselah ended up being the, the oldest man in history. That's because daddy walked with God. Enoch fathered Methuselah at the age of 65, and then the Bible said Enoch walked with God additional 300 years. And then he had other sons and daughters, too. He lived to be 365. 300 years is a long time to be walking with God. Every single moment. As I said, this is not a casual stroll. I have an occasional thought about God. This was not an occasional prayer. Now, what did he do during those 300 years? Thank God the New Testament gives us the answer. Half-brother of Jesus, Jude, just as James was. Jude wrote an epistle, only one chapter. Jude tells us, years later, he tells us that Enoch lived in total obedience to God. That's what it means. Listen to this. He did not have a Bible. He did not have a Bible study group that helped him. He did not have church service to lift him up, worship, to lift him up. He did not have Christian friends to encourage him. And yet, because of his total obedience to the Lord, he prophesied judgment. That's what Jude said. He prophesied judgment way before the flood. Did you get that? Listen to me about that word. I know some of you get epilepsy when you hear the word judgment. But make no mistake about it, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Deny it all you want, ignore it all you want, it is coming. But judgment was not any more of a popular message back then than it is today. You see, judgment was not a feel-good message for him back then as anywhere near as it is today. Judgment is not that positive thinking message (laughs) at that time. In fact, at that time, read about it in the book of Genesis. Read about it. People were living in utter and total and blatant rebellion against God, just like our generation. Listen, (laughs) and walking with God will always cause us to speak the truth of God in love. Even when it's not popular. Even when it is not accepted. Even when it is rejected. Even when it causes us harassment and even persecution. You see, faithful with God, that pleases God, regardless of its unpopularity, will always produce Hebrews 11.5. You say, what's Hebrews 11.5? Here's what Hebrews 11.5 says. Enoch was commended as one who pleased the Lord. No wonder he was transported into heaven bodily. Now, of course, we know that this flesh cannot see heaven, and I'm convinced that on the way up, he just ripped off the flesh and put on a, a, a spiritual body, just like Superman used to do in that booth. You know, he'd go, and that's probably exactly what happened to Enoch. He was transported into heaven, ripped off the flesh and put on a spiritual body and got into heaven, straight to heaven. When we fear God and walk with God, not only we will be blessed, but the next generation will be blessed. Listen to verse 2. You will eat the fruit of your labor. That's you see the next generation being blessed. And this is an Old Testament way of saying they too will experience the favor of God. When we fear God and walk with God, 
Nothing we do is in vain. Did you get that? Some of you probably having problem with this. I want to repeat it. When you are walking with God and when you are fearing God, nothing you will do that will be in vain. You say, where do you get this? You see, listen, I know, I know, and I'll show you in a minute, but even when you face setbacks in the Christian life, even when you have some crop failure (laughs) in your sowing and reaping, even when you may experience some big bumps along the road, none of that is in vain. God is weaving that into His purpose for you, for your good and for His glory. You will not only thrive, but the next generation will also thrive as well. The verse that I always quote when I'm autographing one of my books is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Now, Paul was not talking to preachers. He was not talking to church workers. He was talking to a church in Corinth that was facing all kinds of horrendous problems. And here's what he said, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Uh, Here's what we tell you why. Because you know. He said, this is a fact. This is not something new. It's a fact. You know it that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And that is why I say when you walk with the Lord and when you are fearing the Lord, nothing you do will be in vain. Even the mistakes, God is able to weave them and bring some good stuff out of them. So the first blessing says when you fear the Lord and walk with the Lord, your work will be blessed. Second blessing is when you fear the Lord and walk with the Lord, the next generation will be blessed. And when I say the next generation will be blessed, even if they are rebelling against God and against you, even if they're right now living in rebellion, sooner or later God is going to bring them back by the back of their neck. They may be kicking and screaming, but He's going to bring them back. Even if they lose their way, God will help them find their way back. It's a sovereign God we have. Even if they break your heart, and if they are breaking your heart even now, sooner or later, God will do His work in their life. And then he goes on to say, the wife is like a vine. What does that mean? See, wine is made from the grapes of the vine. And it's the Old Testament symbol of refreshment and the lavished harvest. Wine in the Old Testament stood for harvest abundance and enjoyment at the end of a long, dry, hot summer. Comes the harvest around September time of the vines. But he did not say the next generation is also like a vine. Did you notice? That's a very important distinction. Mark it in your Bible. No, 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 he didn't say that. He said the next generation is going to be like olive shoots. Do you know why he said the next generation of the faithful generation, the next generation will be like olive shoots. You know why is that? Listen carefully. I want to tell you about olive trees. They grow in hard, rocky soil. (laughs) Not with all, everything is dandy, and and, and the soil is really great, and watered. No, no. Olives grow in hard, rocky soil. As a matter of fact, the roots go deep and find their way into the crags through the soil. They are slow-growing plants, very slow. 
And I know those of you with little ones, they said, will the day come for them to grow up? Take it from me, they will. <laughs> and he would say, where all these years have gone? Very slow growing plant. As a matter of fact, the olive does not bear fruit until the seventh year. And even then, it's not very good berries. The best olive berries are after 10 to 15 years. Isn't that remarkable? Nothing is wasted in the Word of God. You talk about future generation. And what the Word of God is saying, that with persevering and pruning and instruction, God will raise up olive shoots when we don't give up on the future generation, but view them, as we saw from Psalm 127, as heritage of the Lord, God will do great things in them and through them. God, the bow holder, is going to use them as arrows that is going to take the light into the dark world. As a matter of fact, Susanna Wesley, who had 19 children but nine died, the 10 that survived— She said she would instruct them, she would rebuke them, and she would direct them. She said, I do that as often as 20 times. And here's what she said. If I did not do the 20th time, the first 19 would have been wasted. And what a magnificent blessing the next generation God gave her. It did not only impact England, it impacted the world. With the songs of Charles Wesley and the preaching of John Wesley. Please hear me right. A properly rooted olive tree can last for 20 generations. 20 generations. A properly rooted olive tree does not need much cultivation or provision. It literally takes care of itself. (laughs) Oh, but it's different from the vine. See, the vine, if it's neglected for one season, will die. It has to be taken care of all the time. Men, are you listening to me? Say amen. Amen. Let me speak to husbands particularly. That is why it is absolutely vitally important to continuously nurture your wife. She's not an olive tree. She's a vine. And a vine needs to be nurtured on a regular basis. But the olive tree, once it is established, it takes care of itself. That is why the Bible said, train your child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The olive tree is an evergreen tree. Once you've done your job, God's job will be done. Trust Him. You see, if the olive tree is set right, it will display beauty no matter what season it's in. And that is why in claiming and training and praying for the next generation, they will do great things for God. They will. And that is why we should not keep on babying our children once they got older. Once we have done our part, we trust God to do His. I'm going to conclude by telling you two stories, two true stories. They stand in contrast with each other. And will illustrate the difference between those who focus their attention on themselves and those who don't and invest their lives. In April of 2000, Ruby Allison and Laura Edwards 
were killed in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby was over 80, single all her life, put all of her life in investing in the next generation in the church of Cameroon. Laura was a widow. She was a medical doctor. She was pushing 80 and served as Ruby's sidekick in Cameroon. They were driving their car, and the brakes failed. They went over a cliff, and they were killed instantly. I'm going to ask you a question, and the question is this. Was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by passion for Christ and serving the next generation, pouring their lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm now going to tell you the true answer. And the answer is absolutely not. It was not tragedy at all. That is why the Bible said, precious in the eyes of the Lord, the death of His saints. It's precious. Their lives were not wasted. They were invested. Now, I want to contrast this with another true story. And it's about a couple who decided to retire early from the northeast, and moved to Ponta Gorda, Florida. He was 59, she was 51. They spent the retirement cruising the 30-foot trawler, playing golf, but above all, they managed to collect a beautiful seashell collection. Tragically, that was their dream, and they were living it. And when it comes to the end of the most precious thing of all, life, imagine their account they're going to give to God. Picture them before Christ on the day of judgment. Lord, see our beautiful seashell collection? Now that's a tragedy. That is a tragedy. What about you? What about you? For those of you who are, are you going to continue investing, giving of yourself? For those of who haven't, are you going to start? Or are you going to keep accumulating whatever your collection may be? For in the last day, the only thing that is going to impress the Lord is the investment you made in His future generation. Father God, precious Lord Jesus, What an honor and a privilege to be called your children in this dark and dying world, in this decaying world. Father, we are like stars that shine brighter. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will touch every life. Father God, I pray that if the enemy comes to discourage them or stop them, you'd fight on their behalf while they were silent. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we look at this time and as this age in which we live and that we realize that the time is short and we don't know when you will come back, but Lord, that we may be ready. For I pray, Father God, that you will strengthen us. And for those who continue to invest in themselves and seek themselves, Father, I pray at some point that you bring them under conviction. Because, Father, we want to please you, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. 
If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.